Hello and welcome to the Functional Health Podcast with Ben Atkinson. I'm delighted to be joined by Lorna Driver-Davies to talk about the ins and outs of perimenopause. It's often a topic that I feel people tend to shy away from, but it's a completely normal and natural process. Lorna is an amazing nutritional therapist, good friend, and a huge wealth of knowledge in this space. We talk about the symptoms of perimenopause, how to manage them, what's going on hormonally in the body, and how to test for it. It is possible to not only live through this stage of life, but thrive. Let's get into it. Hi, Ben. Thank you for having me on again. Yes, it's wonderful to have you back. (laughs) I love being back. Thank you so much. You are very, very welcome. And I'm excited to learn more about perimenopause. Now, it's not something that I think is covered anywhere near as much as it should be, because my perception, personally, at least, is that there is some degree of like shame or embarrassment around it, when it's really just a normal part of the aging process, right? Yes, I think, you know, on a societal side or an emotional side, I think if we think about the the later stage of menopause, mm-hmm. the you know the 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 psychological associations around that are as they sort of have been for a long time, and luckily that's been changing, and so therefore I think there's becoming I guess you know less embarrassment or less shame or less stigma for women around the concept of the bit that happens before that, which is perimenopause, and I do genuinely think it's been so helpful that there's been you know, TV celebrities Mm -hmm. uh, or film stars who've spoken about their journeys um, to make it actually, you know, easier for everyone else to go, yeah, well, you know, I'm having hot flushes or I can't think of my own name and somehow normalizing that. But then what then comes in with that is kind of going, okay, we have these two distinct stages. And I think what's happened for a long time, including by the way, in my own industry. So in nutrition, I spend a lot of time talking to practitioners and doing mentoring and teaching on really understanding the difference between these two distinct female life stages. And that actually, if you can get your head around perimenopause properly, you will really help your client better move into a much more successful menopause. Because really, at the end of the day, these phases are going to happen. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, there's things you might do to slow it down. And ideally, we can slow these things down because number one thing is that as much as women don't like having their periods and they, you know, they don't bring them lots of joy, (laughs) this whole, you know, menstrual cycle hormone picture is really very important for some super fundamental uh, ways that our body operates. And therefore these are good things. And once they're gone, you kind of will miss them. So it's, I think it's trying to put a, put a positive on it and that you can get through these stages much more easily. But the idea actually is that these phases last as long as they can, as much as you're thinking, oh, I wish my periods would go away. Don't wish them away. No. That's a really important point. So let's get into it. What is perimenopause and why are you, Lorna Driver-Davies, so passionate about it? Um, I'm very passionate about it for two reasons in that it's very misunderstood. So quite a lot of advice that's out there is is very obviously advice for menopause. Mm-hmm. So you'll get um, practitioners and members of the public who may you know, be deciding to take steps to support perimenopause, but actually the advice or the steps they're taking is more suitable for menopause. So it's this very unrecognized phase that can be going on for quite a long time. So you could have this going on for, you know, for 10 years, which is a long time. Mm -hmm. 
and we'll talk about it but you know there's there's there there are symptoms that will be beginning to start and things that you may experience that are not so easy to see and that you might put them down to something else because they're not so obvious menstrual cycle changes or hormone changes that you can kind of understand as classic oh that feels like a hormone change um so i think it's you know it's really saying it's its own distinct phase you shouldn't mix it up with menopause and also i think to be clear as well there's like subcategories of it so you have the very early years of perimenopause and what that can look like and then you have the later stages of perimenopause where probably most likely at some point quite soon it will turn into full menopause and i think let's be clear on what that is so yeah full menopause is yeah so full menopause is no menstrual bleed mm-hmm. menstruation for 12 months okay so in the later stages of perimenopause women might be experiencing very irregular periods so you might have let's say i don't know 70 days between one period and the next or you might go a good i don't know you know five six months or something and then a period pops up in earlier perimenopause it's completely normal to have a cycle that comes every month regularly it might start to look a little bit different to your what so i'm just going to be clear from the outset when i talk about fertile years i'm talking about this in terms of biology so for anyone who's listening this is not about me saying you have to have had a baby or not or whatever that's a separate thing i'm talking about what your body is doing as a woman from the point of you being born all the way till the end of your life Mm -hmm. and we're talking about the the hormones and systems and organs that operate within that so when i say the fertile years this is this is the years that you have a period every month you're ovulating and you're producing certain levels of hormones to go with that whether or not you had a baby or want a baby is an irrelevant factor um so really perimenopause is the in-between stage for you to get to the end of these fertile years that makes perfect sense to me so why are you so passionate about it I'm really passionate because it, it's a really forgotten life stage. And it, it, very, it breaks my heart to see women who go into such a decline mm. and then they're kind of in menopause, like almost like falling down the stairs. So if you if you think about the top of the stairs is like the fertile years and the menopause is going down the stairs at the bottom, rather than you know gracefully walking down the stairs to get to menopause, there's a sort of tumbling effect. And I think I find this very sad for women because they're very distressed Mm -hmm. and you know life feels like it's really changed and they can't function or operate in the way that they want to and really we want women to have these you know fun confident uplifting years because I don't see perimenopause and menopause as actually you know these these phases that can be negative they can be really positive and also as a woman you know I can remember being, you know, 20 something. And yes, there's great stuff about being 20 something and, you know, all the things that comes with youth. But my goodness, I would not wish to be 22. I'm really happy being 40. And therefore, I look forward to my future perimenopause years because I'm definitely more confident. Life feels a lot better than it did when I was 22. (laughs) I have a lovely life and family and friends. And so, you know, it's wanting to make the best of these years, but also on a really serious level. And we'll talk about this, but because you've got these cognitive and, you know, neurological changes that go on in perimenopause, if you don't sort some of those things out, the very sad thing is that in menopause, women are more likely to end up with things like dementia, then they're going to get breast cancer, but breast cancer is more talked about. 
So if you want to keep your marbles in your like, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and live longer. So if, if we're talking about aging in the brain, I'm trying really trying to my, my, my passion comes from wanting women to understand. I want you to have a great functioning brain when you're 95. And a big part of that is how wedded we are to our hormones. So I think this is beyond periods changing and all the things we associate as a female thing this is a fundamental thing to do with how you're you know really your existence mm -hmm. and i think that's not appreciated and that, and that's why i'm extra passionate well, that's amazing so so we've spoken about like the, the stairs i love that analogy the way of explaining yeah. it but when does it affect people and why yeah, so shall I go through some of the sort of stages and symptoms and what you can sort of look out for? Yeah, and helpful? maybe is there like an average age that this that it affects people or is it different yeah, depending okay. on your background, your ethnicity, genes, etc.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's really interesting. So we would traditionally, let's say I can talk about, say, Western population, mm -hmm. be looking probably around 45 years old, looking at where you're most likely to end up moving into perimenopause however women can start earlier than that so i mean ideally i would you know that's that's a good age if you're going further back from say 45 and i'll talk about those symptoms you might might be noticing little things that haven't that it hasn't changed your cycle yet or other hormones mm -hmm. um and actually if you want to maybe know where you're at a good question i always say to to women is if you know when your mother menopaused then if you ask her, you have an idea about yourself. Right. Yes. And you can work it out. So I know, for example, that my mum didn't go into perimenopause until she was probably about 47. And then she still had, you know, periods well into early 50s. So I have a good chance of, of it being a bit longer. Well, I think one thing that concerns me, actually, is because little girls have periods much earlier on now. So puberty starts earlier. That can be maybe indicative when, of when perimenopause starts. And certainly if you're having babies later in life, one pattern that I see is women have babies later in life and they're now merging this kind of postpartum life and having a breastfeeding child and a toddler and all that. And it's kind of like shifting slightly into perimenopause sometimes, not always, because women get quite tired, run down. Uh, they don't, again, you know, lack of sleep and lack of, you know, good nutrition in those years because you're caring for a child, which is so challenging. And this can sometimes have a knock-on effect on how early you go into perimenopause. Mm. Whereas well, if we think, say, 100 years ago, <laughs> women would have had uh, their children, they would have been done by having their babies and things in their 20s. And then your 30s is like clear of those early years. Right. So if we're, if we're saying an average like 45 years old, it could be earlier. Now, if you're looking at a lot earlier, this is more like um, something else that's going on, say like a variant failure. So this is like a, an, an actual looking like an almost like an early menopause. And mm. that tends to happen quite quickly as well. That's a different thing. That's not a normal timeline. That would that, that would be an exception. But sadly, it does happen to some women. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. I imagine there's loads of complications which affect this endometriosis, PCOS, yeah, yeah, loads of hormonal yeah, complications, illness. right? Yeah, if you've had, I mean, sadly, also women who've had IVF. Right. Who, I mean, women who have IVF might be having it for a certain reason, like endometriosis, and they might be like 32. 
but unfortunately these days women are having IVF because they couldn't get pregnant earlier on mm-hmm. so it's like the, it's the last chance sort of you know point to have medical inter- medical intervention and because of the way because of how IVF works particularly if you've had quite a lot of egg collection and cycles and things and just like the stress that goes with it even just the financial stress can end up meaning that maybe once you've had that baby that successful um IVF process that you might find out later that you go a little bit into early perimenopause early on and even by the way you might still be having regular periods and your periods looks kind of like it did in your fertile years it's more the other symptoms that I think I should talk about that you might start to notice earlier on And just to go back, before we get into symptoms, you mentioned um, periods happening earlier in young girls. Um, th- there are many reasons why yeah. people think this is the case. But yeah. you're saying that might cause someone to enter perimenopause in, later on in their life a little bit yeah. earlier than normal. Yeah. I say yeah, normal because it's than like the average. Yeah, because it's like your like your menstrual like timeline yes is now gone back like a little earlier the tricky thing is i don't even have enough data so i'm i'm just postulating because this is a relatively new thing i mean i so i'm born 1982 i'm 40 i got my periods when i was 13 and that is i remember in my class of, of girls that was like the average Right. Yes. There was like one girl who was obviously the cool girl because she got her periods like before everyone else. But really, everyone else was like 13, 14. But actually, when I went to America, when I was the same age, I made friends with some girls that we were camping or something, American girls. And it is frightening because obviously these American girls have got bre- have got proper breasts. They've got hair on their legs and they've got their period because of because of all the hormones in the food. Right. Is that what you think yeah. is happening? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think this is like puberty just gets kicked off earlier on because of the environment that we're in and foods we're eating. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is definitely a topic for another day with regards to why yeah, that's happening. Yeah, I'll come back. <laughs> I'll come back and do adolescence for you. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the typical symptoms people can experience? You mentioned like periods being slightly different and that's something which is yeah. interesting to me. So... That's something which people might miss, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's have a look at the let's have a look at the biology here. So, a normal menstrual cycle has ovulation, and ideally, from this from this effect of ovulation, we produce other hormones like progesterone and a little bit of testosterone. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you got your cycle that works it works itself around every month, and ovulation is obviously producing estrogen. In the in in the cycle in perimenopause, what's very common is that you may be anovulatory, which means you have a, a period, but you don't ovulate. Mm. Now, the, the downside of that is, is quite a downside. So that's so ovulation is the most principal way to produce progesterone. So if you're not producing progesterone, so your estrogen might be fine at this, at this point, but you've got lower progesterone. And progesterone, lower progesterone creates other symptoms like you can feel anxious, you don't sleep very well, you are not very calm you feel a bit rattled or a bit jangled because you know because progesterone is a really nice hormone because progesterone then can go on to um to produce GABA which is our most inhibitory relaxing neurotransmitter so actually some of those early perimenopause symptoms is that your period might be fine and like that's all okay but you are now feeling quite ratty maybe you've got PMS that you never had before mm-hmm. um that you feel maybe a bit low mood, not as calm, you can't sleep as well. So these neurological and and kind of, you know, emotional mental health symptoms are often the beginning of that. 
Right. So that's super interesting. So if people are experiencing slightly lower mood during that time where they would normally be ovulating, yeah. that could be indicative of perimenopause during that time period. If they got, if they feel that in the middle of the cycle, then you're maybe looking at the fact that they're not producing enough estrogen. So if we go back, if you think of it in stages, like yeah. it's more common initially to see this problem with progesterone. And then the later stages is where you're, so essentially early perimenopause is characterized by hormone fluctuation because things are really unstable and they're kind of one month is like this and the other month's like that. When you're going more towards full, fuller menopause, and this can go on for a while, that's mm -hmm. where you then start to see estrogen is starting to get lower. And if you were doing, if you were doing blood testing, like a perfect picture for me would be showing that progesterone is low and that looking at, say, estrogen in relation to, in, in relation to FSH, which is like its kind of corresponding uh, feedback loop uh, hormone, is that you might see elevated FSH, so, so um, follicular stimulating hormone, um, is actually higher because the estrogen is either a bit low or is being pumped up by, by FSH. So FSH is basically like someone shouting, I've just seen there's not enough estrogen. So I'm going to shout really loudly to the people that are making estrogen. Imagine it's a factory. And then the little like, you, you know, the ovaries and then like, oh God, I better make more estrogen. So if you, so that picture is like this, you've got elevated FSH, estrogen that might look normal because it's on a feedback loop, but maybe last week it was low, but FSH shouted louder. So the levels have gone up to try and keep, so you can see that picture for a while. So that's yeah, why that also if women are like, I don't know perimenopause. I'm not sure what would a test look like. Well, if, if it came back elevated FSH and either lower estrogen or normal estrogen, there's some indication of that's what's going on. Yeah. So for some reason, estrogen yeah. is not being produced in the way it should be. Therefore, F FSH is elevated to get that back to a normal level. So that would be an early stage in that case, right? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, testosterone is always worth looking at i know you're very interested in in like male hormones so i think for the listeners testosterone is a very critical female hormone it's not just for men mm -hmm. and uh and it gives us joie de vie motivation it's good for the immune system it's important for you know musculoskeletal system it's important for things like libido it, it, it that stuff is great it's the juice that gets it's partly the juice that gets you out of bed partly yeah um one of the reasons that men if they're out on, I'm thinking sort of the olden days of like, you know, men on horses with swords, <laughs> men will recovery from being in battle much more quickly because testosterone is a really good immune hormone. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so actually when you're looking more traditionally, by the way, in menopause, by the way, because we don't like to maybe prescribe testosterone in the early perimenopause years, unless someone is very low. So you might in menopause, if someone's got a, a, a sort of collection of their supplements and their, you know, hormones and stuff, they might have been prescribed testosterone. Okay, right. So, so we've kind of identified what early perimenopause would look like blood work wise. What would be a core symptom yeah. for someone? Yeah. So like I was saying, so lots of mood and mental health symptoms. Yeah. So way more than you can figure out. I mean, so forget about periods for a second. You know, I'll give you some examples. So I've had women who suddenly feel very, very low mood. 
and very anxious for absolutely no reason. And actually, en- interestingly, will end up going and going and seeing their doctor for, say, antidepressants right. or anti-anxiety medication, or they'll go and have therapy because they don't understand why that's kind of happening. And, you know, I think this thing to say is that we women are so wedded to hormones, they have such a huge effect on the way the brain functions and the way that we produce neurotransmitters. So, for example, in perimenopause, because you, if you've got fluctuating levels of estrogen, you then don't have this relationship between how estrogen is, a, is relating back to things like dopamine production and serotonin production. So all those like low mood, feel flat, don't feel good, mood feels wobbly, particularly like the nervous system type stuff. So, you know, they they say, oh, if I get stressed out, I feel less, sen- I feel, you know, less kind of strong. I feel much more wobbly. I feel much more jangled. Women will say things like, oh, you know, I had to go to a meeting and then I had to run for the bus and then I had to da-da-da-da, like, you know, and now I feel like, oh, God, you know, like, they just can't cope as well. So So you have a lot of that going on. This is interesting. And so breaking this down, so if you don't have enough estrogen, you're not producing dopamine, which is like that motivation and drive hormone, as well as serotonin, which is like commonly referred to as the happy hormone. So you're less motivated, you're less happy, and you're also not producing as much GABA, which is that calming neurotransmitter. So when you you do get stressed and erratic, you haven't got that calming component to bring you back down. So that kind of like tired, but wired and Exactly. And actually, um, and I, I, this is a funny one for anyone who's listening out there who's in perimenopause, but also has teenage daughters in the house, because that's <laughs> quite a common thing that you'll get a woman who's in perimenopause, but then has a teenage daughter. And I've, this is a funny one, but the husband or the boyfriend or whatever living in the house, it feels like literally packing their bags and leaving because they're stuck between two women who are kind of like perimenopause is it's not unlike going through puberty again and feeling like that it's just that you've kind of got your you've got your you've got the adult brain that helps it so it's like yeah it can feel like that so so and I think on a serious level this is if you've got someone also who is actually saying things like I've got real memory gaps or I can't find my words like you want to be watching that stuff closely because if you don't deal with that stuff now there's that that person maybe has more of a propensity to end up with these things as a serious issue in though in the menopause post-menopause years right yes so we so and i it's really understanding that what the mechanism is this yeah so if you don't have enough estrogen estrogen actually works as an anti-inflammatory and has a direct relationship with the immune system in a way where estrogen by the way obviously can be really pro-inflammatory so this is where endometriosis can become an issue that type of thing but estrogen has an adaptogenicity which means that also it's there to have a relationship with the inflammasome so if the brain gets more inflamed because it doesn't have enough estrogen because estrogen is there as a master regulator with that relationship you now have a more inflamed brain and we know particularly in functional medicine what an inflamed brain isn't good at yeah processing cognition memory you know talking properly with clarity like all these things that we know but also how we feel like you know motivation or low mood or not that sort of thing yeah then um you in terms of like physical symptoms so by the way all that might then relate to someone feeling more stressed or can't sleep properly and it's going to change appetite as well so women will maybe have now new blood sugar issues that they didn't have and physically wise, because estrogen plays a role 
has a kind of metabolic effect mm -hmm. women might start to notice that they now have like a little bit of a, like a, a tummy like so extra abdominal fat that's harder to shift it's harder for them to lose weight and actually because the up and downness so e if estrogen by the way in premenopause estrogen is going to go up and down and sometimes if it's going too up and it's not got progesterone to keep it in check it hasn't got its mate there because progesterone is 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 quite a it's quite a calming sort of logical hormone that doesn't bounce around too much if estrogen is going up too high the woman is probably more inflamed anyway and has symptoms of potentially what you'd call um, I don't really like the term estrogen dominant, but it's estrogen that's not being balanced out by progesterone. What is would cause other that? Issues at that what's, point as well. what's causing the progesterone to go lo like lower than it should be? Lack of ovulation. Right. Okay. So yeah. you get lack of ov ovulation as like one of the core parts of the perimenopause stage. Yeah. Therefore, estrogen is going to drop. FHA, FHA, F, no, here we go. FSH. FSH is going to go, right. go up. Yeah. yeah. But remember, they're on a feedback loop. So, and they don't always get it right. So FSH, you know, might, it, think of it like sh someone shoveling coal into the fire mm -hmm. to get the, to get the fire to get to, you know, to get bigger, but you might shovel too much coal in and the fire might be like a little bit out of control. So that's the thing is women will then, women can get symptoms of like low estrogen, but then also may have symptoms of high estrogen. And you know me, I work a lot with endometriosis. This is sometimes where I see endometriosis has been fine for ages. And then suddenly in perimenopause, it like rears its ugly head because you now have this, inf you have a body that's extra inflamed. And this also happens for other reasons. So estrogen and progesterone have a direct relationship with the thyroid. So you're going to affect your ability to produce the good levels of thyroid hormone or even conversion. So you, this gets mixed up with like metabolic stuff. So you might have someone saying, I'm very tired. I'm finding it hard to lose weight. I've got low mood. I feel really anxious. And it's like mm. a big storm because it's starting to affect the brain. It's affecting the thyroid. Now you've got, you know, issues around the thyroid, you know, working at a good rate. Cause also you can get low mood if your thyroid's not working very well. And actually traditionally on say blood tests, it's quite common for me to see someone ending up with the very slight beginnings of hypothyroidism, which is being driven by perimenopause. Right. And that makes sense with the weight component as well, I guess, because the thyroid yeah. is yeah. basically the governor of your metabolism. And therefore, if that yeah, drops yeah, out in yeah, output, yeah. it's going to be harder to, well, much easier to gain yeah. weight, even on your typical yeah. diet. Yeah. And it slows things down. So, you know, women might say, oh, I used to have good bowel movements, but I don't anymore now. Mm. Because you don't have, you know, if the thyroid's not there to, to, to run that, like get the, get the, you know, get your bowels moving properly kind of action there. So it's kind of, you can see how it's this sort of this big sort of, you know, melting pot that's beyond this is a hormone shift. So that's why I think it's unfortunate that it, this is put into like, oh, that's a, that's a hormone thing that just happens. That means your periods run out. It's like, no, we have some quite fundamental stuff that's going on here. This is also why you see this big rise in, in autoimmune conditions during perimenopause because they're very inflamed. You've now got serious stuff like it's quite common to see things like thyroid antibodies popping up. And you've got to watch things like metabolic syndrome, because if you now have, you know, you've got inflamed, like HbA1c is elevated. Yeah. yeah? You've got that going so on. You've maybe got like a little bit. Regulation. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, 
you have all the corresponding systems that might be like the liver or, or the thyroid might be dealing with how you distribute cholesterol. So like the later picture, if you don't leave that, could look like this. I'm overweight, I'm pre-diabetic, I've got, you know, I've got elevated triglycerides, I've got elevated LDL cholesterol, and I and I'm, you know, I'm looking at a, a poor metabolic picture, which was coming out of this hormone shift. Because women give themselves a bad time. They're like, but I cycle every day and I, you know, I, I drink lots of water and I have an organic veg patch and I don't understand why I've got a fat tummy. I don't understand why I've now got, you know, I'm now pre-diabetic. I don't get all this. And I have to just say, look, it's not you. This was this, this is a hormone shift that's gone on. Right. Okay. And the LDL cholesterol yeah. thing is quite interesting because um, I'm sure there's women out there which eat a diet, which is not that high in saturated fat to potentially drive that high in fiber exactly you know they, they're yeah. eating relatively well yeah. you know all things considered yeah. you know quote unquote well what does that mean but you know a healthy yeah. whole food diet and then they yeah. get this massive rise in ldl cholesterol so can we unpick that a little yeah. bit yeah so so estrogen specifically will play a role in the way that fats are distributed mm -hmm. So that's again, if you if you think about going back to like having abdominal fat, it's not because it because estrogen is maybe not there to the right amount. It's not it's not there to make sure that it's like evenly distributed. And, you know, and this also if you flip it the other way, if we think about things that are good for us, that would say lower LDL cholesterol and increase HDL cholesterol, let's say omega three. Mm -hmm. So from fish oil during that time, if your body's a bit more inflamed and you've got other stuff going on, the amount of omega-3 that's being used is probably more than you needed, uh, that, sorry, that you need more than you did when you were younger. So it could be that, you know, you're needing to like double up on stuff or eat more or something to, to kind of help with a better balance of cholesterol because suddenly it's being, this is why women will say, oh, it just all, all got a bit not great overnight and I feel a bit sort of run down and I don't feel, you know, this is why I'm saying, nutritional interventions have to change and become intensified during this time because you're going to use up certain nutrients more quickly because the body is body is all it's trying to do constantly is trying to get itself back to homeostasis while it's on a roller coaster that's quite hard that's like <laughs> trying to drink a cup of tea on a roller coaster you're going to get off with the tea all over you <laughs> so it's yeah and what you know the reason for doing any of this is my analogy is trying to get someone off the roller coaster and maybe one of those children's rides that just goes much more gently round and round. And that, you know, we're doing that with hormone support and nutrition and lifestyle and all those things to try and again, make that staircase, not a big drop to the bottom or fall down, just make it much more graceful down, down, down the steps to menopause. Yeah, that's a really valid point because we've gotten into the way the weeds here about the negative negative parts of perimenopause yeah, yeah, but yeah, a lot of these yeah. things you can control or at least manage to a better degree yeah yeah can yeah quick absolutely. question before we get into that is can women still get pregnant during this perimenopause period they can yeah so and also actually that's a great question because certainly what i encourage women to do is it's quite common obviously to have been on contraception for a long time mm-hmm so even if you've had children, you've gone back onto them. So if you're on something that is masking your current situation, you're you're wondering about perimenopause, you are much better off coming off contraception to get a full look at what's going on. Yes, that makes um, sense. And that, you know, it's more common in women who've had 
maybe not so much fun over their menstrual years, like pain or fibroids or whatever is going on. So there's maybe sometimes there's there's some resistance, but it, you need to sort of see the wood from the trees. Um, and also my big thing to say that frustrates me is, and lots of nutritional therapists do this and doctors do it, is go, oh, well, you're probably in perimenopause. Um, it, you're, 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 too, you're fluctuating too much for me to test what's going on. I will tell you a real story on the value of testing in perimenopause that's quite a sad story. It's better now. Clearly, from my perspective, was going into perimenopause, but she still had a normal cycle and none of the other signs. So I encouraged her to do testing and her estrogen was already at 100, which is too, which is too low. Um, and she had not been doing that well, not, not doing very well for probably about a year. And then she, I suppose she thought probably things were kind of okay. This is the thing about giving advice to people. They don't always follow it. <laughs> and then within, I would say about six months, she was, uh, semi-suicidal Wow! because the That's estrogen really had sad. dropped so, so much. I mean, mm. really awful considering very sad to see when you have a friend who you know is normally very upbeat, very positive, and ne has never been like that. Now, good good story now is that she I got her into a plan, so she's doing much better. But all I've done is I didn't do any mental health work. I just looked at replacing estrogen naturally and making sure that she had all the nutrients there to support the brain, obviously to carry on talking down to the um, the ovaries and make sure that smaller amounts are still being produced. Um, and supporting with also extra, I got her to go on to um, uh, a natural based progesterone as well. Yeah. I mean, that's but this it. is all, all going on, but she still has a normal cycle. The other thing also to mention is well, a couple of things is that you can see real changes in the health of the vagina and the genourinary tract. So very common. In fact, if I had a woman who maybe didn't have everything that we've talked about just now, but said, I'm now getting repeat thrush, I'm getting repeated cystitis. Um, that is a red flag for me because it's because once the hormones change, so once estrogen changes, the environment of the vagina changes. And therefore it's a bit like an, you know, it's much more open to infection, but also just open to being out of balance because the estrogen has a direct relationship with certain types of, of bacteria. And it's quite a delicate environment. So, and, and then the other thing is also to say is that women can get can get very stiff and achy. So musculoskeletal stuff mm -hmm. start to get much more injury prone. Oh, I twisted my ankle. All I was doing was like some squats in the gym. So I think one thing to be careful of is that women can go, oh, I'm in perimenopause. I must need loads of calcium because I'm going to get osteoporosis. Hang on, we haven't got there yet. You want to think more about, uh, you know, and this is like lifestyle advice. So staying in shape, stretching, looking after yourself in that way, you know, physio, yoga, etc. But again, making sure that you've got the right routine in life to make sure that you're replacing those hormones that maybe are, are declining in order to um, support the health of your kind of body frame and structure. And women can get more, you know, just generally more run down or it takes them longer. So I would very happily say that if you got COVID in perimenopause, that's much more tricky because you're already potentially in this state where you're more inflamed. And now you've got a infection that we know is big time on the inflammation. And it's all about how you come out of that, not to get long COVID. Mm -hmm. So that's why also when I see this, um, I had, a, this is a funny one, but 
my neighbor over the road was putting the bins out and I said oh how are you and she said oh yeah I haven't been doing very well I've got really bad long COVID and I looked at her and I didn't say anything but I thought I bet it's because you're in perimenopause because she's that kind of age so for anyone who's listening who's been struggling with long COVID who's also in perimenopause you need to have a look at supporting your hormones better because that will help the immune system and that will help you potentially get out of this stuck point of being too inflamed yeah that's such a valid point Quick pause we're thrilled to say that our sponsor for this podcast today is Human People. Human People is a personalized health platform set up by functionally trained doctors and nutritionists right here in the UK and they're on a mission to give you a healthier, longer and more productive life. When we start to feel a bit tired, get aches, pains or brain fog, it can be a challenge to work out the root cause of that problem and how we can solve it. Well, human people are offering a solution. They empower you to better understand your health issues and use AI technology to provide clear, actionable steps to help you meet your goals. Choose between blood, DNA, and gut tests to look for common nutritional deficiencies and important gene SNPs and get your personalized recommendations reviewed by a doctor and all for less than a price of your daily coffee. The quality of their supplements is excellent and their recyclable packs means no more plastic bottles filling up your cupboard. Better for you, better for the planet. Head over to humanpeople.co slash functional health and use code functional health or one word at checkout to get 10% off any of their tests. And if you purchase any of their bundles, you'll get six months of a high quality omega-3 supplement absolutely free. Feel better, live healthier, and start your journey today at humanpeople.co slash functional health. Back to the show. Other things, you mentioned some lifestyle factors here, including uh, contraception, as well as like yeah. general well-being and health and mus- the musculoskeletal system. I can't speak today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what other lifestyle factors or maybe genetic predispositions could make this yeah. worse are there any yeah so i think lifestyle factors so or should, certainly... should, we, should we put a positive spin on it Ooh. like what lifestyle <laughs> factors can help people not get well, such bad perimenopause right so <laughs> i think um i think um you know and look i'm very much a woman with a career and i and you know me very well i'm a busy lady but really what a positive spin would be slowing down and taking more time to do fun nice relaxing things so um you know this is where i kind of think what's really badass about being in perimenopause is you're often at a very good point in your life where you're probably ahead of head in your career or you've got a happy relationship or you're very happy like your children a little bit older you're wondering what's what you can be doing hobbies you know adventures and so i think but it's it's about slowing down not because you're this is the thing this is not because you're getting old this is just more about having the grace of respecting your body is trying to again just support itself through this transition so the positive thing is have slowing down having more time for yourself looking after yourself so that includes also exercise is important and good but not so that you're exhausted and you're like killing yourself in the gym every day and actually not overtaxing the adrenal glands because if you overtax them by producing lots of cortisol and adrenaline, by having an over busy stressed life, when you're in full menopause, you're not gonna get the benefit of the small amount of progesterone that's produced from the adrenal glands. Cause if you've, if you've smacked them across the face too much, like in a fight constantly, they're not gonna be your friend later on so much. Right, yeah, and that can cause problems with tiredness and the ability to get up in the morning yeah. and like more focus yeah, exactly. on the caffeine just to yeah. get that 
motivation. Though, interestingly, yeah. I feel like a lot of people do exercise because it makes them feel like hit training, for example. Yes. Yeah. M- from my experience, friends, family members, they've gone through this and they do hit training because it makes them feel good initially, but then they're extremely yeah. tired afterwards. And I'm thinking yes. there are good yeah. stresses and bad stresses and hit causes a mild amount of inflammation, which you kind of want through exercise because that causes yeah. these kind of yeah. hormetic stresses yeah. and growth. Yeah. But if you're already inflamed, I feel it can do more harm than good. Yeah, and also, um, so one thing I don't advise goes like this. So you think you're in pre-menopause and you've got quite a lot of symptoms going on and because you're not feeling great, you then decide to start a new exercise routine, maybe also motivated by putting weight on, but you haven't gone and looked at the hormone picture. Mm-hmm. What can happen then is it all just, you just fall flat on your face metaphorically because you can end up feeling knackered. You don't enjoy the sessions um, you're actually doing yourself more, you know, you, you, you're pushing yourself more into not a great place. And then what can happen? Women will go, oh, my gosh, I just got an injury and now I'm back to square one. And, you know, they'll say I only started doing more exercise two weeks ago. So I say, look, just hold the horses, go and deal with the go and deal with the hormone side of it first and sort that out. And then you'll have much more energy because obviously energy is massively tied to. So you have, again, you have this estrogen mitochondrial relationship. Um, so, so, you know, energy production in women is really also fueled by, so this is also like women will be like, oh, I'm tired. I've just gone out and bought more magnesium and CoQ10. Well, that's great. Again, if you still don't deal with the hormone picture, you won't get the true, the true value of what you want. I assume it's very easily missed. When we spoke about before, people who are entering yeah. that stage of early perimenopause, you know, they don't think that like, oh, I've put on weight, I'll do more of this hit training. And they're not even thinking about yeah. hormones at that point. No, 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 exactly. And also what's nice is these days you do get more and more uh, personal trainers who will specialize in a lifestyle. So just as you might get personal trainers for women who might specialize in postpartum recovery and looking after a breastfeeding woman and like all those things that come with that. You know, I I do I do recommend if you're thinking, looking exercise to find a personal trainer whose expertise is perimenopause and menopause. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this is a little bit more menopause advice, but it's not a bad thing to be getting into the concept of weight bearing exercise during perimenopause, so that in menopause you're all ready for it, so that you've got bones, you've got bone um, production there, bone metabolism, sorry, bone metabolism support there. Because it's less and less, you probably, you've come across this, haven't you, Ben? Women don't want to do weights because they think they're going to get muscly. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a battle. Yeah, which, but you're, it's really hard. We're catabolic women. So it's, you know, men, men, you know, it's much easier for men to do some weights and suddenly look, look, look like, you know, Popeye two weeks. So, you know, um, but yeah, I think, I think uh, if you're unconfident, I think work with someone for, for a program. In terms of people that are going through this, what advice would you give someone now who's maybe at the stages where they think they're going through perimenopause? What nutritional program should they be focusing on, et cetera? Yeah. So I would, well, first of all, I would say go and get your hormones checked. Mm-hmm. Do it with an, do it with someone who knows what they're doing because these days you can get online hormone tests, but people end up not doing it at the right time of the month or they don't choose the right test. So I think get some help with that. And then certainly I would always make you, there's some key areas you really want to watch out for. So the thyroid, 
So again, it's worth doing a full thyroid panel, see what's going on, because as I mentioned, it's, it's impacting so many different things that you want to make sure that you've looked at that. And then I would do a real MOT on yourself, like is your vitamin D good? Is your iron good? Is your B12 good? Like a good, you know, are you eating two or three portions of oily fish a week or are you taking a fish oil? So fish oil I mention a lot because omega-3 has this, you know, strong relationship with whether inflammation happens or not, as in can you can you stop it from starting in the beginning or it's a bit like if you have a fire, it's like throwing the blanket over or throwing the foam foam on it. So I think the amount of women I ever speak to who are not eating oily fish regularly enough or not supplementing is a major concern. And also, if you want to make more of these hormones like estrogen or progesterone or whatever, then you need to have the raw materials to do that. And we use fats to do um, to use that. So if you don't have good fats coming in, so this is why I actually think the Mediterranean diet is a really nice one for perimenopause um, and actually going back to eating in that way. So I would say be careful with, with very extreme intermittent fasting unless you know you can cope with it or you're good at it because if it's going into this spe this zone of creating a blood sugar problem in itself, um, then you won't feel very good. So you will emotionally feel very good, but your body won't be going, won't be well on the inside either. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, intermittent fasting is good, but watch out for it. Be careful. I, as a woman, I wouldn't do keto for too long. I'd have breaks. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we, we've yeah. touched on testing, exercise, stress management, key slowing down, focus on stress, nutrition. Yeah. Something that comes up quite a lot is like foods with a mild estrogen, phytoestrogens basically. Yeah. So foods with an estrogenic yeah. effect like flax seeds and soybeans, I think primarily are the two ones yeah. that people commonly refer to. Yeah. What's your take on those? Yeah. yeah. So first of all, and this is particularly like if you've got elevated estrogen because it's fluctuating a lot, you have to metabolize that. So we, we produce a hormone, we use it, we need to get rid of it. It's a cycle. It becomes a waste product. So this is why you want a really good, healthy gut. And, you know, this goes back to, say, the vaginal microbiome. But we have a, you know, we have the estrobolone, which is basically a, a kind of estrogen uh, and good bacteria um, relationship. So you want foods that are going to support you, like fiber, like fiber-rich foods. You want foods that are going to support estrogen metabolism, uh, like foods like broccoli, for example, um and so that's like that's one so so we want to be metabolizing estrogen properly because also very sadly in those life stages you will end up with you know gynae related cancers and some of those might be related back to um being estrogen um, dependent mm. so we want to make sure we're having a nice one or two bowel movements a day looking after the gut so making sure we've got lots of like good bacteria coming in and, and all of those things as well so that's a big part of it and then I would say in that more the later stages of perimenopause, we can be looking at foods that are going to be classified as phytoestrogens, like things like lentils and flax seeds you mentioned. I think those are a really good idea, but I think you don't need to concentrate too much on that if you're very early stages. I think this is where I really feel like testing is important because you can have an idea about where you're at within all of that. Yeah. But as well. solid yeah. bit of advice, like cruciferous vegetables have that anti estrogen yeah. component or certainly the detoxification yeah. component so how many portions a day for example yeah. for the person listening would that be two i just get them in with each meal yeah 
um you know particularly as you've got such a good selection of different types of veggies i mean we would be, be recommending these things like anyway so i think also yeah, it's like saying to somebody if you haven't been looking after yourself very much now is the time to try and make sure that you get your veggies in with all your meals um and it's easy to put things like say um protein powder in the morning that's got that's based from things like yellow split peas so that's lentil family or putting say ground flaxseed like on your porridge in the morning so it's kind of easy to introduce these things i think one thing to say is that even though i'm sure this is controversial is that if you are vegetarian or vegan and you're looking at the perimenopause phase this is where you are gonna have to supplement more because if you're missing out foods that have got certain levels of nutrients but even the right kinds of nutrients so we know also that if you're having if you're not having meat and fish and things like eggs and dairy, you're going to get less chance of the methylated types of nutrients. And it's methylated nutrients play a role in estrogen metabolism in a process in a, in, a, in a process to detox them. So this is also where you may need to supplement more to make sure that you get those extra nutrients that are going to be missing out of your diet. And that'll be uh, when like you choline say... or choline, iodine, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you said methylated nutrients. So that would be like... 5-methyl yeah. tetrahydrofolate, so natural folate, yeah. folic acid, or um, yeah. Yeah. methylcobalamin B12. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the other thing with that is that things like folate, B6, B12 also form part of when we're looking at protocols for things like, you know, not getting dementia, etc., that type of thing. We know that, you know, we, we need those nutrients to look after the brain. Mm. So in women, actually they have this dual role in that they're there to look after your brain, but they're there to look after the way that you metabolize hormones as well. And also you need them to have good mood. So we need to have healthy methylation to, you know, um, to produce that kind of feel good factor as well. Would you say like a multinutrient is something that people should consider regardless yeah, of their definitely. diet? Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, even if you eat very well, unfortunately food is not as good as it was in terms of content than mm. it was a hundred years ago i love looking at when you see historical food diaries and one i saw a while ago was a, a, an old lady that was living in the east end of london very poor but like traditional east end type and if you look at the foods by our own standards now it's like okay but we would consider that to be sort of lower lower levels of, of food you know food actually what she was having was quite basic, but would have been very nutrient rich, you know? So, so sadly you have to eat a whole load more of something to get something out of it than you did in our grandparents' era. And then, you know, further back than that. I think the, the old school way of meat and two veg is actually quite useful sometimes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We've touched on a lot here. One thing that we haven't touched on very briefly is uh hrt so hormone replacement therapy yeah because i'm quite a medical nutritional therapist mm -hmm. and i work a lot with uh with doctors and nurses i really see the value of this because uh even though um lots of herbs would be good at supporting hormones for some people that's not enough and so that's where things like hrt or privately bioidentical hormones can be really good however they're not a panacea so you might you might have someone who says, well, I've got, you know, my mood's better or my sleep's better, but they've still got other symptoms. So I actually really feel like there's a real benefit of combining, um, and, you know, combining herbs to support perimenopause and menopause alongside 
uh, HRT, which which again, a you know, a herbalist or nutritional therapist will do very easily for you. Mm-hmm. And at Wild, where I'm head of nutrition, we've just brought out a uh, a new amazing product for premenopause, which has got Shatavari, which is an amazing female tonic herb, which supports estrogen production, supports things like energy, helps with the immune system, helps with with libido. But we also put some saffron in, and saffron is a really good brain mental health herb that helps the nervous system and helps you cope with stress better and helps to support things like serotonin and dopamine so that is great and that might be perfect for someone but then they may they might need a little bit of hrt on the side depending on what's going on um and that's why it's quite good to track things over the years um with that the this is you know and I'm looking up to my sort of most respected medical colleagues, mm-hmm. those that are experts in in using HRT and hormones. Generally, the idea is that you're trying to always use something which is going to be um, like on the skin. Right. Rather than swallowing something oral, because if you take an oral, um, let's say estrogen, you actually have to detox it all the way through the liver. Whereas if you're absorbing it through the skin, this is actually much safer. So a lot of doctors would rather give a cream or a patch type type device or even uh, vaginal pessaries before wanting to get to the point of using an oral version of that hormone. That's really good to know. I did not know that at all. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned something there before when you spoke about the, the herb, Shatavari. You mentioned libido. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. We didn't talk about that before. Are there changes in libido and sex drive when it comes to perimenopause? Yeah, I meant, yeah, mentioned it, but we didn't get into it as a, a bit of a deep dive. So, what women can find, which is sad, is they just don't they just don't have the the they just don't have the mojo for the juice, <laughs> which is sad because men don't men don't get don't really get the decline like that. So I, re- I have lots of conversations with women who go, I love my partner. I still fancy him. He's like the best thing ever, but I'm just not that interested in sex. And that they would want to be interested in sex. And so Shatavari is a great one. In fact, it's Ayurvedic name translates to the woman with, a, I think it's a hundred husbands. <laughs> so if you take, you know, <laughs> disclaimer here, Shatavari, you might have a hundred boyfriends. Maybe you don't <laughs> want a hundred boyfriends. hundred boyfriends, maybe. Or once a hundred boyfriends. So, um, so you know, it's it's good for that, and that's because it will be working on lots of different areas in the body. But also, if you think about it, if you haven't got good good levels of things like serotonin and dopamine, you're not going to have the motivation to to be affectionate or to mm. be sexy or any of those things as well. Yeah, or be around yeah. people at that stage. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I think also because you've got quite a lot of body changes going on, particularly if you're not like you don't feel like women will say, oh, I just feel like a bit like a like a slug. Like I've put weight on. I don't think I look that nice. I feel like I'm getting old, you know, all this stuff. And, and then they're not going to feel like they're most attractive or sexy. So, again, you your question in the beginning was about I'm really passionate about women having a sex life for as long as they as long as they want to have it. So yeah, Shatavari is a lovely, lovely, lovely herb and you will get 100 husbands if you want them. <laughs> Very good. I'll, I'll, make, I'll make sure I'll put a link to that product in the show notes for people and any resources yeah, that yeah. we've mentioned as well with regards yeah. to the Mediterranean the, diet. Yeah, and the saffron is very special because we've we've only, at Wild, we only like to use 
clinically trialed ingredients for lots of our products and the saffron is clinically trialed to support um you know uh kind of stress levels in that way so heart rate variability and how you recover from things like that but also looking at serotonin dopamine production but also that not all saffron's the same so this is very very highly concentrated and also sustainable source because if anyone's listening most of the saffron comes from Iran mm. and it's a hot country. So they actually use a special irrigation system to recycle the water. So it's a, it's an, it's a really nice plant to use. It's lovely. Love it. Last question. How would you advise practitioners to best deal with people going through the perimenopause? Um, please test them. Don't <laughs> just assume so I would be saying things like looking at blood testing as well as doing, say, a Dutch test, a urine test. I find quite a lot of nutritional therapists will only do a Dutch test. And then because they, I get the value of that and the reason that we do this, but you do want to see both things together. So it, would, it wouldn't be ideal just to do one or the other, but I think doing them together gives you a good picture of what's going on. Um, and also progesterone is, progesterone is not always very accurate to measure but you can often figure out yourself that maybe it's low or not. But I think, you know, I do see nutritional therapists who are maybe less experienced. If the person, if the woman's saying I'm really tired and stuff, they're focusing say on energy in a traditional sense. Like, like, like if you said to me, I'm tired, what can I, what would I do for you without looking at this fundamental huge side? So it's almost like any symptom that they have going on, you really need to attend this hormone picture because there's, you know, you might be putting in like, I don't know, red yeast rice because they've got elevated LDL or putting in extra zinc because their immune system's not great. But if you don't deal with the massive elephant in the room, that's all great. I don't think you're going to get the effect, you know, you won't get the, the, um, the effects and benefits and the changes that you want. And I think the big thing is clue yourself up on perimenopause because I've seen way too much clients who've got a plan which looks more like someone in menopause hugely valuable Lorna it's been absolutely wonderful to have you on the show again thank you thank you that's very kind <laughs> it's wonderful to see you and I definitely do hope that we can do this again soon I would love to thank you very much for having me on always a pleasure and um, you've got the best podcast as well bless you you're amazing until next time everyone see you soon Thank you for listening to the Functional Health Podcast. You can find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes. If you have a second, please consider leaving a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference and helps get this valuable information out and reach more people. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date and know whenever I release a new episode. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook or our website and all questions are welcome. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for all the editing and thank you all for your support.